Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, everybody from snowy Wyoming. We have a storm rolling through today, so uh, I'm glad we're not driving anywhere. Um, Happy Thanksgiving, a day early to all of you in the U.S., and I'm glad you joined us because we have a really interesting show today. It's all about uh, questions that have been posted in the group that, based on my laziness, would take more than a paragraph or two to answer typing it, Um, and sometimes it's hard to explain in writing uh, versus speaking it, so I kept those... um, those questions that are are kind of detailed for this show. And I thank everybody for submitting them. Uh, We're going to have way more than we can answer. So um, I'm going to keep them in a file and answer them in podcasts moving forward, maybe one every podcast um, when we have, even if we have guests or something like that. So so there we go. A couple announcements today. Um, I know you know um, that... Um, the ASD show coaching filled up like in the blink of an eye. The six spots for the private, you know, group or private coaching with me at ASD. And we had a bunch of people ask, can you open up other slots and all that? And I really couldn't um, because there's only so many hours a day. The show is open and there's only only so many hours a day that – we can be there, and there's only so many of me. There's one. So, um, so the numbers just wouldn't work to, um, to open up more slots with me to that. There are the six um, slots, and they filled up right away. But, and this is a good but, Ron and I were talking um, about what we could offer to people who couldn't get in those six slots. And here's what we come up, have come up with. Um, it is a small group session, meaning six people maximum, to spend time on the show floor with Ron, because I have no more hours, um, approaching vendors, analyzing products, um, overcoming objections, all that kind of stuff that, that people who haven't been to a trade show want to know. Um, so he's agreed to do a uh, group session for six people. The show floor time, we're estimating an hour, but we also estimated an hour for the photo seminars, and one of them was like almost three hours. So, um, so <coughs> pardon me. That time on the show floor, and then a debriefing, for want of a better word, meaning the six participants in Ron would then um, move off the show floor to someplace quiet um, and talk about what you learned, um, what questions you have, what would, you know, all those situational things based on seeing things work on the show floor. So, um, uh, Al, uh, yeah, he might. I mean, you know, he'll tell you what to say to get them to cry, Uncle. I don't know that he'll wrestle them to the floor, but... You know, there's a way. Um, he is very good at negotiating. That is his strong point. Um, in and negotiating in a, in a way that's a win-win for the vendor and for you, because um, you can't it, negotiation has to please both people. So, um, so yeah. So he has agreed to do that. Um, I had a waiting list of people um, who didn't get into the the private sessions. Um, and I, I sent them the information this morning about it. There were three of them on the waiting list, and they all three have accepted this option. Um, so that means there are three slots left open. Um, the price is $50, um, so that gets the time on the show floor and the question and answer session 
Um, theoretically, it would be a minimum of 90 minutes, but knowing my husband, it'll probably go longer than that. You know, I would suggest probably block off several hours for it. So if you're interested in that um, option to learn about um, working the show floor and negotiating uh, with vendors, send me a private message on Facebook and I will um, respond to them in the order they are received. Um, That's the only fair way to do it. So you guys who are listening now get first crack at it and then those who listen to replays it will go on. But um, but it's a nice option. Um, you know, I wish we could do everybody for whatever they need, but, you know, the show is only four days and uh, can't can't do it all. So, so that's the big announcement for today. Um, I hope you guys like the option that we've come up with, and hopefully we can do this at other shows too. Um, I know there's a quilt market in Salt Lake City coming in May. Um, and I'm, I'm speaking to several people who I know sell in the crafting field. Um, now you know who you are. Maybe something you may want to look into going to Quilt Market in Salt Lake City. It's at the Salt Palace in Salt Lake City. Um, so that done, let's get on to um, the question and answers, or questions that came in and my answers. And um, they were all really, really good questions, I have to say. Um, I'm um, really, really in awe of you guys about how far you've come in thinking about your business and looking it into looking um, into the future with it. You're not here to sell the hot toy, which I believe is pie face, from what I've read everywhere. Um, you're not into just selling that and then, you know, what do I do now? You're into building a long-term business, which I just think is is pretty awesome, you guys. I mean, I'm really, really proud of you. So let's get into the questions and my answers, and I'm going to try to keep on track um, with who asked them. Um, Some are going to be really um, fact-based, easy to um, answer, and others are more theoretical, so we're going to mix them up with both. Um, So... Um, one big question that was asked many different ways in the group is how to assess a new product to bring to the Amazon market. And Nicole Vanderhoop first asked that one, and then Angie jumped on it, and and I believe Ellie jumped on it. So it seems like it's a really um, uh, important topic for you guys. And it's one that... Um, I'm not going to say it's a gut feeling because it's not a gut. The gut feeling can like tip a scale, you know, if you are like, do I or don't I, and your gut's telling you, yes, that will tip it. But um, that's that's not a fair answer to say it's all about gut feeling. So I'm going to tell you the things I do when I'm at a trade show or I get a catalog from a new supplier or I'm on a new supplier's website. Um, the first thing I do is look at price point. Um, what would it retail for? And this is assuming it's a product that's not on Amazon already because that's a whole different bunch of research to do, right? Um, this is a product that just came out. We just saw it at a trade show. And um, you're standing there and it's like, okay, do I want to pursue this or do I not? So for me, the first thing is price point. Um, I really want to keep my price, my average selling price, and by average, I mean, you can find that number on your Amazon reports. Your Amazon business report will show you your your average selling price that fast. Um, and you can do it by days or weeks or months or the whole year. I want to, I would like ideally to keep it like above $30 but that's difficult, at least in the crafting field it's difficult. Mine's at like 29 right now. And that's, for a couple of years, that's the highest it been has been. It was hovering around $25 for a while. So, so that said, that means I don't want to sell $5 items because, one, you can't make money on them. Two, you have to sell a lot of them to to get any sort of dollars rolling in your account. So... So you need to decide what is your bottom line 
that you want to sell something for. And we're going to assume that we're selling these FBA. And my assumption goes back to my whole basic thing about math and business. Overestimate expenses and you will be a lot safer than underestimating them. So I just in my head, I figure Amazon's going to take a third of it. That's, you know, it may be 22% or maybe 24% or maybe 29%, depending on a whole bunch of factors. But I just say they're going to take a third of it. And then the vast majority of the time, they take less, and that means there's more money in my pocket. So that's just, you're standing in a trade show, and you don't want to get the calculator out, and you don't want to do all this. So, so you say, okay, the suggested retail price on this item is 30. Amazon's going to take 10 of it. Just, you know, in your head. So now you've got $20 to play with. Um, what, is, what, what is the company asking for it? Are they asking 15 or are they asking 10 Is there a price break? Um, so that whole pricing thing um, is the, one of the very first things I look at. I wouldn't say it's the first thing, but it's, it's maybe number two. Um, so you will have to... Um, to rule out, you can rule out at a trade show or an online catalog or a website a lot of stuff if the suggested retail price is like $9.99 or $10.99. Um, in most cases, I don't sell products that sell for that. There's a few I have that take like a half a second to process and I can get a thousand of them in a small box. And my cost is $2 on them, I'll sell them for $9.99 because the, that kind of time to money ratio is worth it to me. So, um, so um, that's the first thing. Look at, at those prices and see. Don't, don't be the person who wants to sell um, $3 uh, marking pens for the new adult coloring craze. You know, and that's just an example. You may want, you may be able to sell a whole set that sells for thirty dollars, but selling individual pins, no, that's that's not where you want to go. Um, so um, yeah, as Deborah just said, you bundle for higher ASP. Yeah, exactly. Um, you don't want to sell those kind of things individually, but as a set, you may put six colors in a coloring book together, and then you might have something viable. So. Watch, watch that you keep your average selling price up there because every time you handle a product, it's money because your time is money. You want to make those dollars go as, as far as they can. So the second thing I look at, or the third thing I guess I'm going to say, is the hassle factor. Like how does this stuff come from the manufacturer? Does it come already in a box that I just have to put a label on? Or do I have to bubble wrap it and get my own boxes to put it in? Um, and that's not to say that, that that's a, a thing to turn you away from the product, because I have a couple product lines that I have to do that for. I had to buy special size boxes and all that. But my margins are like I pay $14 for the item and I can sell it for $49 and I'm the only seller on Amazon. Um, that's fine. You know, I could bubble wrap it quickly and put it in a box and be done. But you need to factor that into this whole deciding process in your head. Is it going to take me time and maybe some money for the boxes? Um, or is it something just put a label on? So that's another little thing to factor in, um, the hassle factor. Um, with me, the hassle factor also has to do with size of products. I don't sell very many oversized products. I sell some. I sell spinning wheels. Um, and I sell weaving looms, um, both FBA, and they're, they're oversized. But the margins are big enough um, that I'm okay with it because the margins are big enough. Um, but I would not want to build my whole life around oversized products like selling kayaks or snowblowers or skis. Um, that's just not – because I personally don't have the space and I don't want to rent a warehouse. Um, so you have to factor in, do I process all this stuff? Um, is, it, is it, you know, something that is going to be really time-consuming to do? Factor that in. Um, another thing I think about is, is this going to be a product that's subject to returns, a lot of returns? Um, 
you know, electronics are notorious for that, um, and clothing has high re- and shoes high return rate. It doesn't mean it should be an automatic no for the product, but you have to be aware of this as you're looking at the product. Is it going to be one with high returns? Um, I can tell you that my craft things that plug in get returned far more than things like knitting needles that don't plug in, but it's not because they're defective. And I can't figure out why in the craft field that that's a pattern, but it is. So I'm just aware of that, and I make sure my margins can absorb these returns, or the manufacturer will take open products back if the customer calls it defective. And some will and some won't, and this, this is something you ask of the manufacturer or the distributor. Um, the, that, um, you know, what happens if the customer says it's defective? You have to get that factored into the whole deciding thing. And then the kind of the it factor is, is, is this a product that's ahead of trends or is it playing catch up to trends? Um, or is it right on trend? And I can get these products quickly like I'm at the trade show and they can ship, they can send the order in and ship before the trade show even closes because it's a trendy product right now. The minute it starts that downhill slide, you do not want to bring it to Amazon. So I'm going to use the rainbow looms as an example. Um, they were hot two Christmases, two or three Christmases ago. I mean, so hot, it was unbelievable. And knockoffs came on the market and all that. We saw them at, at the crafting shows. And um, the crafting shows, the trade shows are in January. And so after Christmas, they were still pushing rainbow limbs. But you could all, already see the writing on the wall um, that, um, that, you know, it was a fad and it's done. So you would not want to jump on that after the fact. So you, this is where knowing about the general niche that you're selling in um, provides a lot of value. Um, If you're a new mom or have toddlers, baby and infant stuff, you'll probably know what's the hot stuff, what's on its way out. Use that knowledge. If you've got school-age kids, they're going to know everything about everything that's cool right now. But if it's been cool for a week or two or three or a month, it may be on its way out. You have to catch the early stuff. So, so that's that intangible thing. Um, if it's something you've never seen before, um, but your gut says, hmm, this is an interesting product, I think this just may work because it solves an issue I have doing X, Y, Z. You know, it solves an issue I have cleaning the kitchen. It solves an issue I have crafting it solves an issue I have keeping my car organized. Whatever it is, that's the time when you really need to put use that as that tipping point. So you've got one hand, you like the, you like the margins. Um, one thing I didn't mention, you like working, you have some sort of rapport with the vendor. Um, you know that instant, yeah, this, this, I could work with them or I couldn't. That needs to be factored in. Um, because if someone is difficult and grouchy working a trade show booth when they're theoretically on their best behavior, I mean, really, their best behavior is at a trade show because they want to sell the products. And if they're difficult to work with there, can you imagine what they'll be like if something goes wrong with an order or something like that? So that's kind of another one that people don't talk about that I'm very aware of because I know I want to build a long-term relationship with this vendor and is this sales rep who's going to be my rep and I don't click, ooh, that's going to be hard. So you need to factor that in too. Um, Deborah mentioned um, about keywords. If you can instantly come up um, with um, good keywords, that's her make or break decision. Like if you know what you'd say to describe this product, um, that's, a, that's another good one because then you can say, you can just spill it out because you get the product. That's kind of that, I get it. I understand it. I get it. You know, it's, it's there. 
So, um, Nicole, I hope that answered a little bit about the basics I look at before I decide to bring a product to market. I have to tell you one thing a lot of people do that I don't, and I could be wrong about it, so I'm just telling you what I do. I don't put a lot of stock in rank of similar products. Um, and here's why. I, I, um, I look back on a product. My best-selling product comes from Israel, and it's a crafting product. Um, and it is my best-selling product. And I find the irony such that I can order this product. I always order on the weekend from her, and she ships on Monday, and I have it by Thursday from Israel. Yet I can order from my supplier in Missouri, and it takes 10 days for UPS to get it here. I just find that irony crazy. So that's my best-selling product. There are similar products on the market. Um, they all do the same function, but they aren't packaged quite as cutely, and the people have not done the work building up the brand name that this woman has done. She has four products in the line. They're just four different sizes of the same thing, and she's built up the name. Um, if I looked at ranks on those other products that are similar, I would have never touched this one. I would have never, ever, because the ranks on the similar ones are like, you know, 900,000, 800,000, 600,000. The rank on this product is like at 4,000 in crafting and like the top 50 in knitting. Um, but you wouldn't know that from the other rank. But her product has a differentiating thing about it, and she has built her brand on it. So, um, so um, that's why I don't do it. That's when I use my gut to decide, is this, is this cool enough for me to want to invest some money in? Um, one thing to remember is if you are bringing a product to Amazon, don't go crazy and buy tons of it to start. I do the, the, um, the minimums when I'm bringing a product to Amazon. And I will tell them, if it works, I will be your best customer because I'm on Amazon. But if it doesn't, I can't take a pallet of it and track it. So I will take a case or whatever their minimum is um, to start. Like her minimum, I think, was 24 of these, which fit in a FedEx, um, you know those FedEx boxes that are like 14 inches long and about 6 inches deep and 12 inches, you know, the, the document boxes? They'll all fit in one of those. So I can afford to have them air, sent FedEx air from Israel and get them in a few days. Um, so um, so that's, the, that's my way to assess a product. Um, and part of that is, is why I say it's important to um, – I have a niche. And I don't say that your niche is selling silk brocade knitting needle cases. That's not a niche, that's a product. A niche is arts and crafts, housewares, um, pet products, uh, sporting goods, a broad general category. And you can look at niches um, in the same way as Amazon categorizes them if you want to you know, start with a general niche and then drill down um, and maybe become more specialized within that. Like for me... I don't do every part of arts and crafts. I don't do scrapbooking anymore because the margins are terrible there. Um, I don't do um, painting, like oil painting, um, acrylic paints. I don't do any of that stuff. I have focused on the textiles, the knitting, the spinning, the weaving, and jewelry making. That's the part of um, arts and crafts I focused on. That doesn't mean I don't have some outline products that do well, but, but that's kind of focused. So... Um, the question um, came up in the group. Um, it was um, uh, Buffy asked about the mindset to wholesale, and someone asked about how do you find a niche. And I'm sorry I can't find who asked that one. So, um, so um, let me check with chat here, and I'm going to see if I need to answer any first, and then I'll get to those. Um, Let's see. So how does your thought process differ when the product is already listed on Amazon? Um, 
that makes it a little easier because you can see sales rank of the exact, exact specific product. Um, so here's a couple things I take into, into consideration there. If I like the product and the sales rank is mediocre, I'll still keep looking because there may be a reason why the sales rank is mediocre. And most of the time, if I, th I think it's a good product and the sales rank's eh, there's something wrong with the listing, right? That means the photos um, are terrible or there are no bullet points or crummy bullet points. Um, the description's terrible. Something is not showing that product to best advantage. So, um, so I will, if, I'd love it in that case if it's what I think is a good product and it's a crummy listing because I can fix the listing. It's not fun but it can be done. So you can move through that product. Um, I don't like selling on listings that have a ton of other sellers, and that's one reason I don't do scrapbooking. That seems to be the part of the arts and crafts niche that is saturated with sellers. I mean, to, and to me, saturated with sellers is 20 or 30 sellers on a listing. Um, I know toy sellers and houseware sellers, it's far different. They can tolerate you know, a hundred on a listing because things might move faster and all that. But for me, I don't want to be on a listing with that many people. And if the listing is decent and the sales rank is okay, but there are 20 or 30 sellers on it, for me, I'll pass on it. Um, because that's a lot of rotating around the buy box um, that you'll have to do to get the sales. So number of sellers, rank, what the listing look like, looks like are um, things that I would take into consideration if it's already on Amazon. The other thing I will take into consideration is if the manufacturer is selling on Amazon and they are selling FBA, I can't, I can't beat that. I can't compete with them because they're the manufacturer and they're going to be able to keep in stock much better than I am and price much better than I am. So so that one I will avoid. I don't always avoid ones where the manufacturer is merchant fulfilled. And I have one product line that is that way. The manufacturer will merchant fulfill them, um, but they don't FDA them. And I'm okay with that. And it's a product line where there might be, I think there's th three regular sellers on the line of a couple hundred products. But I'm okay with that one because I'm not, I don't, I don't think merchant fulfilled competes head to head with FDA. Because they have a product, say, it's $15 and $4.99 shipping. And I have it listed for like $20.99 to get that extra dollar push. Um, I think if you're prime, you're going to pay another dollar to get it in two days versus, you know, a week to 10 days from now. So that's, that's my take on stuff that's already listed on Amazon. Now, the big kicker, what if Amazon's selling on it? Can't move on. Um, I hate to say that, but there are so many ways we can't compete with Amazon, and we just can't. They will tank prices and lose money just to get rid of you. So, um, so don't um, don't get into that kind of battle with them. Now, if they're selling it as a warehouse deal, that's a different story because that means they got it from damaging it in the warehouse, and they paid the the seller for it, now they're selling it in warehouse deals. That's fine because that's not a regular source of supply for them. Um, there are times when the product is so good and Amazon's on it that I do want to get it from Amazon. And that doesn't mean competing with Amazon. That means convincing the manufacturer that it's better to sell to you than to sell to Amazon. Okay, and you may be asking, well, why would they want to do that? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Um, some may not like selling to a big company. They'd rather smell, sell to a small business like ours. That's one. Especially if they are a small business themselves, they will get that, that kind of relationship. And there's a couple others that appeal to the, the number side of the business. And I'm going to give you a few of these to think about so if you see Amazon on a listing that you really, really, really want, you may be able to get, get them to not sell to Amazon and sell to you. And here's a few of them. 
Amazon takes a while to pay. Okay? They don't just give the vendor their credit card number and get the cases of product. They will do everything on net 30, net 60, next 90, which means they have 30, 60, or 90 days to pay for the products, um, depending on what they work out. A lot of small businesses will jump on, oh, I'm selling to Amazon, but then they don't realize, oh, it's going to be three months till I get paid for those products. Meanwhile, I'm out the products, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. So say they do that, still waiting for the money, and the bills are coming in. They may realize, oh, man, we really messed this up. We want, we want the money, you know, like when we sell the product because that's, that's the cash flow we need. We need to have the cash coming in. And if you can tell them, you'll pay with credit card or bank transfer, whatever it is, right away when they ship the product, then that may convince them to move to you as their seller on Amazon than Amazon. And all they have to do is just not sell to Amazon anymore. You know, that's simple. They'll just sell to you. So that, that faster payment, better cash flow for them is one to use. Another is um, control of listings. You can assure them that you will do your very best to represent their product in a favorable light on their listings because it's mutually beneficial, right? You want it to look the best to sell more. They want it to look the best to brand their product. Um, another one that I have used that has worked is um, giving my word, and I stick to my word, that I will advertise their product for whatever period of time. I'll do sponsored product ads or whatever you decide on on Amazon. So um, I have a current vendor who um, agreed to give me a 10% discount on the wholesale price as long as I ran ads. You know, I had the pay-per-click active. And every once in a while, he'll just check in, is it still active? Yeah, it is. Um, because my goodness, the, the pay-per-click has cost me probably less than $10 over three months, but I've saved like 500 in that 10% discount thing. So, but he may just want to see his product out there. So that works for him. So you can say to the vendor, well, Amazon isn't advertising your product, but I will, and I can show you reports to show you that it, the ads have been active. Um, another one is negotiating returns. Um, you better believe that Amazon, just like all the big, big merchants, put pressure on their suppliers to take back stuff that doesn't sell, um, especially things like DVDs books, all of that, they'll, they'll return them to the publisher or to the um, DVD uh, people and get their money back. You can say, I'm willing to take a risk on your product and I won't ask to return stuff that doesn't sell. So that may be one that they, they can feel, okay, we sold it and it's going to stay sold, basically. So those are a few things that you can do to convince someone to sell to you instead of Amazon. And it could be with a product that Amazon is already listing, they just have to let Amazon run out and then not sell to them anymore. Or it may, may be someone you see at a trade show that has a brand new product. Um, and if you don't think Amazon has people at trade shows working them just like we do, like we do you're wrong because they do because I've followed one around the craft and hobby show. Not only does Amazon have their own buyers there, you know, with their business card that says Amazon, there are companies who headhunt, for want of a better word, products for Amazon. And they will go to trade shows and they will find stuff that maybe Amazon has missed and then they will sell the lead to Amazon and say, hey, here's a list of products we found, you know, and however the negotiations work, whether they get a percentage or a flat fee or whatever. But there are companies out there because I followed one of those around a trade show where I was working, it was two years ago, and the guy gave me the business card of the company too, which was pretty awesome, so I could look them up and see what they do. And, you know, they're a headhunter for products for Amazon, a, um, a, bot, a middleman, you know, to find the products. So, um, so does that answer the question about sourcing when the product's already on Amazon? If it does, I will... Move on to Buffy's question, which is, um, 
Um, how do you adjust your thinking to wholesaling? We all know the return on thrifted and yard sale and estate sale items are often very high. What would the expected return for a wholesale product? I know there are many factors that go into this, but I want to get the idea of what to set, of the expect. If 10% or 60% is the norm. Um, the norm and um, the norm in retailing, and I want to say this as a broad generalization because different niches have different norms. But the theory in wholesaling is you will keystone or retailing is you will keystone your your cost. Okay, so you bought the item for ten dollars, you'll sell it for twenty. That comes that's the old brick and mortar theory of doing business. You know, I pay ten dollars for it, I'm gonna sell it for twenty. Um, online and especially Amazon online is a very different kettle of fish. Um, and let's just assume that fifty percent, you know, that or that doubling of your your price. Um, if I pay ten dollars for an item, and um, I'm selling it FBA, I want to more than double, okay? Because I have more expenses involved in that. That thirty percent of that ten is going to, or that twenty is going to get eaten up um, by Amazon. So um, that means thirty percent of twenty would be six dollars. So that means I'd have fourteen dollars left after Amazon fees based on that thirty percent, okay? $14 left. The item cost me 10 Okay, now it doesn't look so bad. I got 14 so I'm making 40% after it's all said and done. It's not as bad as it looks. Um, I really, really try to average over everything. After all my expenses are done, inbound shipping, shipping the product to me, I want to hit 50% ROI. That's just me. Some people are happy with 10 I would not be because returns will kill you. If you get a few returns, all of a sudden your margins are dead on that piece. And some people want to end up with 100% ROI after, you know, and that's after all expenses. So, um, so the, um, excuse me, the, um, the, the rule is I would not buy products to sell on Amazon where I couldn't at least double my money. That's me. Books are a bit less. You can't double your money on books. And to be honest, buying books from a publisher, Amazon will kill you in price. I mean, I, I accidentally ordered a book instead of a DVD from one of my suppliers. And I said, okay, I don't want the books. So I'll just sell it on Amazon instead of going through the return thing. Well, Amazon was selling it cheaper than my wholesale price because they are buying in huge quantities so they get better prices. And they're willing to make a penny or two on a book. So, um, so that's my my general thing. So if I'm going through a trade show, and um, they'll say, and they might different companies do it differently at a trade show, or even on their online um, catalogs or on a paper-based catalog, they may give you a wholesale cost and then a manufacturer's suggested retail price. And in that case, they may say, okay, your, your cost is $10. We suggest you sell it for $19.99. That's their suggested retail price. Others may give you a retail price, and a lot of small, small mom-and-pop manufacturers will say, okay, retail price on this is $19.99. Your discount is 50%. So you'll be paying the $10 for it. So same same answer, they're just doing it different ways. But when you're searching for products, if they say, okay, uh, price is $19.99, your discount 40%, that's getting too low for me. Because after everything's said and done, you are going to be under my target ROI on products. Um, and if they're down at the 30% mark or 20%, nah, don't. Um, you are not going to be able to sustain um, those kind of numbers. You may make a dollar on each one, but um, your time is worth more than that. The time is worth more than that. Um, so um, to answer Buffy's question, I would expect 50, okay? I want to be able to sell it for twice what I paid for it. 
um, and then end up with 30 or 40 after all the fees. Um, you know the more expensive your products, the lower the percentage Amazon will end up taking, assuming weight and size are equal. You know, if it weighs more, your weight-based fees are going to be more. But assuming weight and size are equal, percentage-wise, you're going to be paying Amazon less on more expensive products. Um, so, that, um, so that's a, um, a way to look at it. Um, Nicole, you are, you are not obligated to sell at MSRP unless there is something in place called MAP pricing, which is minimum advertised price. And if you have an agreement with a uh, seller or a vendor, wholesaler, that you agree to adhere to MAP pricing, then you have to, legally, you have to. Ethically, you definitely have to. Even if you legally didn't have to, to me, ethically, if you agree to do it, you do it. Um, and that means that, that um, here's an example with one of my vendors. Product I buy for $25. Um, the MSRP is $49.99. So it's double of what I'm paying for it. And they have a map price in place, minimum advertised price of $45. That means I can't advertise that I'm going to sell it for less than $45. So when they say advertise on Amazon, that means you put it in as your selling price because it shows up as a number on the screen to people. That's advertising it. Um, in a brick and mortar store, you could theoretically say if, it was a, if they walked in and saw it as a cheaper price but you didn't advertise it, then theoretically you could. Because that's why um, you will see on some websites, and even on Amazon, that you have to put an item in your cart before you see the price. Have any of you guys seen that? Um, um, ever on anything you've shopped where you don't know the price till you put it in your cart? That's why. Because they can't advertise the price out there. Um, they, um, they have to um, show it once it's in your shopping cart. So that's why there's a map agreement in place for that product. Um, there, that, I like MAP because it keeps pr uh, prices from tanking or helps keep prices from tanking because you know what they can't go below. And I, am not, I do not object to reporting someone who does go below it, and I report it to the manufacturer. I'll say, XYZ company is selling your $45 MAP price item for 40 And they're like, okay, we'll look into it. You would hope that if they get more than one or two complaints, they pull them off the listing, you know. Excuse me, but um, but um, the um, the whole deal is to it's not price fixing. It's it's keeping your um, brand value. You know, you don't want your you, you may not want your product to be the cheapest thing out there. You know, you want to keep some value to it. Um, and that's why I personally like MAP. I know Ron likes MAP. Um, to be honest, I don't know any seller who said, oh, I hate MAP pricing. But very few people do it um, in the craft side, um, especially on the scrapbooking side. They don't care. Um, for one thing, they think it's hard to um, patrol, and it can be, but there are lots of software solutions out there that will do it for you. You know, you just put in the, the information and it, it will tell you. I have a line of knitting needles that I stopped carrying because they started out with MAP, um, and it was good because it kept the price at a reasonable level. Um, MSRP on it might have been $99.99, and their MAP was like 80 so that's a 20% difference, but um, about a year and a half ago, they said it's too much trouble to enforce the map pricing, so we're getting rid of it. And now those $99 knitting needles, I looked yesterday, and they're selling in the $35 to $36 range, which is far below any price point you could buy them for. Okay, so, so you buy 100 sets, and they're going to cost you $39. I mean, that kind, that kind of craziness. 
But everybody has jumped on the bandwagon and kept lowering and lowering and lowering their prices. And now it's in the toilet. They look like a cheap brand instead of a premium brand because the price is so low. And I stopped carrying them. When they, when they started moving downward like that, it's like, yeah, I'm done with them. There's more things, you know. Um, it's um, an interesting um, conundrum. But I try to educate my vendors with things I can do to help us both, giving them um, a list of software solutions to track maps, Explain another big one is explaining to them about the brand registry program on Amazon, which helps give them more control of their brand. Um, helping them set that up is worth it because it protects both of you. So I saw another question that came through, um, uh, Sarah, about the dog collars. They said MAP was 50% markup, so that means if you bought them for 10, MAP would be 15. Um, and that's that's fair enough too. I mean that's that's um, in the ballpark of of what companies tend to do for MAP. Um, I'm sorry you're having trouble selling them, but um, don't despair because the big holiday shopping has not happened yet. Um, um, They've only been there like a month and a half maybe, and they're brand new product. Um, I, you know, I hesitate to have you recall them now and bundle them because you're going to lose two weeks, at least two weeks, and you're going to miss the holiday sales for, for real. Um, my case in that would be ads, and I would also set up the business Pinterest page that I talked about or Pinterest business Pinterest account that's only related to your business and then start building boards about dogs and then throw in a, one of these dog collars um, you know every now and then with a link to to it on Amazon and put some more cute dog and puppy pictures and then throw away throw in one to a dog coat you know and intersperse them with you know other things that dog people um, would want to um, would want to look at, you know, like I I have I follow a Vishla board that's all cute pictures of Vishlas, and every once in a while you'll see like, you know, a Vishla collar, or a Vishla T-shirt, or a Vishla hook to hang your leashes on, all that kind of stuff. So so this is um, for everybody, not just Sarah, but for everybody. You need to set up a Pinterest business account. This is not your personal account that has your favorite recipes and all that kind of stuff on it, the new colors you want to paint your living room. This is one just for business. And set up boards that would relate that people, put yourself in the mind of the dog people. What would they want to see? So you might want to have cutest puppies ever as one. Next one is best dressed dogs, you know, and you just find general pictures of dogs in cute clothes. Like I saw a Vishla in a Santa, a Vishla puppy, nine weeks old, in a Santa outfit today. Cutest thing ever. Um, and then you pop in for every eight of these cute pictures, you pop in one of your items for sale. And then you do some more. So you're not drowning people in for sale stuff, but you're getting like-minded people there. So everybody on the call... Um, that's, that should be on your to-do list. It's business Pinterest account. Put your mind, your head in the mind of, of people who would be buying your stuff and go from there. Like mine, I have around the world in 80 textiles. And it's just pictures of awesome fabrics and textiles from all over the world, whether it be, you know, the Maori in, or the Maori in um, New Zealand with the, the flax skirts to the Maasai in Kenya with the red wool, you know, um, fabrics that they wear, that kind of stuff. Saris from India. And then I'll throw in something that I have for sale that could relate, like maybe a, a shawl pin that, you know, people looking at fabric would like. And then I have ones um, about jewelry making where I'll put in uh, Pinterest pins of tutorials and how-tos and then throw in some related tools every now and then. So that's, that's um, I found Pinterest is really, really good for marketing. For me, far better than Facebook, because um, I did try a lot of Facebook ads. And Pinterest, 
to me worked. And so I suggest it's free. Everybody set something up and start building boards. Start following related boards so you have um, you can start build that community of people. And I think I have like 10,000 Pinterest followers. It's ridiculous. Um, the numbers that you can build without without trying real hard. Because when I pin, um, I pin throughout the day, you know, I'll spend a minute here, a minute there, um, just finding cool stuff. It doesn't take a lot of time, but it does build up. If you've got cool stuff, it does build up. Um, a lot of followers. So um, we'll do a, a call totally about Pinterest after the first of the year and walk you through it with ideas for boards and all that kind of stuff. How's that sound? Um, so Buffy, I think we got you on that one. Um, Shelly's question um, about explain what happens to a Charlene product from the time you receive it to when it is shipped to Amazon. Um, Okay, I have um, I have a pretty simple workflow. Um, for one, I don't let stuff build up. Like it, I got two shipments yesterday. Before the call, I got them processed, and they're sitting on the porch waiting for UPS to pick them up. So that's my one one thing that I I suggest um, is you be really diligent about processing quickly. Don't let the stuff build up because it's just like housework. The work. The longer you put it off, the worse it is, you know, or the worse it's perceived to be. So, um, so what I do is I, I get the item in and, or the shipment in and I take the packing list and as I go through the box, um, I check things off the list to make sure I got the right amount of stuff um, that I ordered and got charged the right amounts for them. So I'll open the box. And most of my shipments are one, maybe two boxes. So I will work on them box at a time. And I'll just start at the top. And say I've got six of this DVD number one. I'll find it on the packing list, check it off. Yeah, I got six of those. Then I use um, a desktop barcode scanner. I got on Amazon for like $20 that hooks up. And I'll if it has a barcode, and about half of my things do and half don't, so we'll assume it has barcode. I will um, put the cursor, and I'm going to talk my Seller Central um, process and then my inventory lab. They're slightly different. Back when I, and I listed for years using only Seller Central. I've now switched to inventory lab, but Ron has not. He still just uses Seller Central. So, um, so don't feel that you have to, to move over to something else until you feel you need to. So you um, put the cursor in the uh, search field in Seller Central, scan the barcode. And if it's in your inventory, it'll come up and you just click on it and say replenish inventory. Um, the only things I use to process inventory are the barcode scanner and I now use a Dymo printer. I got a Dymo twin when it was on sale somewhere. You don't need a twin, but it just ended up cheaper than the single one. I think it's the Twin Turbo 450. Um, it, um, and that's it, and the labels for it. Okay, That's all you need to, to process the stuff. I um, have banker's boxes that I get out. They're sitting under the desk, but when I start processing, I pull them out, and I put a Post-it note on the front of each one for each warehouse. So... Right now, MDW2 seems to be my warehouse of choice, the one in Joliet, Illinois. But I've got Ontario 6, um, CHA1, BWI2, I think, and my oversize is MDP. So I've got banker's boxes for these. And so when I you know, process the inventory and it tells me what warehouse it's going to go to, I put it in the bo that box. And I'll just go through systematically through the box of inventory that comes in and repeat the same process. Um, so if it's DVDs, the label spits out. I just put it on the back of the DVD and it goes in the box. If it's an item that needs bagging, um, I do it before I put it in the box. Ron um, does it differently. He labels it and puts it in the box and then bags it later. So that's a, that's a how do you feel you work best. Um, I know why he does that that way, 
because then I'll help him pack and I'll go through and bag it all for him. You know, it's like pretty smart, buddy. You got somebody to do that because it's sitting there on bags. But um, but that's just me. So you decide which, do you want to bag it as you put it in each box or do you want to bag it as you get ready to ship it? My workspace is set up. I have my computer desk and my impulse feelers to the left. And so I just swivel in the chair and can bag it and stick it in and then throw it in the box. I don't have to get up or anything like that. I set things up so I don't have to to get up to do any of it. Um, then um, when I, two things, I either process everything and I may end up with multiple banker's boxes for different warehouses or at this time of year, I really want to get stuff out. So when the banker's box is like heaping full, I know for me that's one box of a shipment. Maybe It may be anywhere from 20 to 60 items that will fit in that banker's box for my size stuff. And then I'll say, okay, I just want to get this out because it just needs to get there. The heck with saving a few pennies on shipping. I'm going to do a box at a time. And I will then stop and um, pack that into the shipping box. I use a lot of, I do a lot of double boxing because I have small stuff. So I will put an interior box or two or three or four inside the big shipping box to hold things together so they don't get lost. So all the jewelry pliers may be in one box inside of the box. All the the, uh, knitting needles, which are in like four by six, poly bags is how you can get, you know, a hundred of them in, in a small space. Those will go in another box inside the big shipping box. And I have labels that say um, multiple items enclosed, please scan individually. And I got them on Amazon. I will put the link in the Facebook group when we're done. And then I just cross out if there's, I use boxes that I've gotten stuff in, usually from Amazon. I'll scribble out through any barcodes or addresses on there and then I'll put one of these multiple items enclosed. Um, please scan individually. And then um, I use list label ship to print my shipping labels. Okay, I used to use it to print my item labels, but we'll, I'll get to that in a minute. I, I don't want to get ahead of, of everything. Um, and the reason why is I have a, a Zebra printer that I got from UPS for free. Um, by talking to my UPS rep. And you can find your UPS rep by um, calling your depot a UPS store and get the name and phone number of the person who reps your area. And say, I ship a ton to Amazon. I know you guys have these Zebra printers and you charge $2 a week for them. But because I ship so much, would you be willing to waive that $2 a week fee? And our rep did. So what's the worst I can say? No. So I would ask. Then you got a nice, heavy-duty Zebra printer for free, and you can use the um, thermal labels from UPS to print your shipping labels. The only catch is you need to use list label ship to do it. So for $5 a month, to me, it's well worth it. Um, Otherwise, your Amazon labels print on the two-up world ship thing in a laser printer. So that's the two things. So I use the Zebra um, to print those labels, and then we're good to go. So, um, oh, Alf says um, she he she tried and um, they said she didn't ship enough. I think that depends on the rep, you know, who you got and what they they are um, what their thing is. Because I don't know that I ship twenty thousand a year. I mean, it's all through Amazon. I ship like one box a month through my UPS account. So, so, um, so. Um, I, Deborah, I do use Inventory Lab now. Yeah, I do. And I use the live workflow because otherwise your warehouses will change. As Michelle says, your warehouses will change and putting them in the box like I do is pointless. And I don't want to have to label and bag things and then put them in a pile and then redistribute them to boxes. So I use live. If there wasn't live, I wouldn't use Inventory Lab because it doesn't work the way I process with the boxes sitting out and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so um, Nicole, if you use Seller Central to process or you use the live workflow and inventory lab, the warehouses don't change. 
and that's why you can label them. If you use the private workflow with Inventory Lab, they will change. Or we'll say they can change. For me, they did, and I didn't realize what was happening, and I was ready to quit Inventory Lab, and then they came up with the live workflow. So that, um, so that solved that. Um, so um, I'm scrolling through to see if there's any other questions I need to answer. I'm not going to get to any more questions from the group, and I apologize, but I'm keeping them, and we're gonna, we are going to get to them. Um, but I want to check and see what else was, um, was in the um, chat. So, yeah, we'll do a Pinterest call um, after the first of the year. Um, Ed, about your labels with the toner. Um, are you getting your labels from UPS? Um, let me know because the, those are the labels I used to use um, with the UPS. Um, um, huh. So it must be some combination of your toner and um, um, the label combination. I would just put packing tape over, clear packing tape over, or... Um, Go to UPS, and here's a way for everybody. Um, if you um, get the um, document pouches from UPS, you can print your shipping stuff on plain paper, fold it in half, and stick it in one of these pouches, and you won't have to worry about it. So you don't need to buy better labels. Um, you can use that as a workaround. And those pouches are free from UPS. Um, and they fit a piece of 8.5 by 11 paper folded in half, so you could use one for your shipping label and use the second for that FBA label and then not worry about the toner coming off. So um, that might save you a little bit of money. Um, Michelle, um, no, private is not better if you don't finish a shipment all on the same, same day. If it's live, um, it has sent the information to Amazon and Amazon um, knows which warehouses are going to. It won't change. Um, if you um, if you use private and let it sit overnight, it probably will change, and that's why live for me is so much better. Boxing as I go, that makes sense. I hope so. Um, yeah, Buffy, that's why you said uh, some tape will do it. Um, I don't tape over thermal labels. No, we're talking about laser labels, laser printed labels, and I know exactly what Ed's talking about. Um, sometimes the toner will smudge right off, um, meaning the heating element in the laser printer isn't hot enough to seal it to the, um, the labels themselves. So don't tape over thermal labels. That's the advantage to them is you don't need to. So, um, so I think um, unless we have questions I missed in chat, um, well, let's see, Shelly, um, how do you know where the products are going immediately? Um, you, Shelly, what I used to do in Seller Central, um, complete the shipping plan, and then it will tell you where it's going right away. And then you can open up 5,000 shipping plans for a shipment. Every time I add a product, I completed the shipping plan. So all my shipping plans had one product in them. And Ron does it the same way. Um, so he knows right away where the product's going. It's not like you have to put everything into one plan and then send it. Um, you can um, do the six DVDs, complete that shipping plan, then do six more, complete that shipping plan, and then you'll know how to distribute them out if that, um, if that works. Al, could you post that stuff in Facebook um, for people who can't get to the chat about the AdWords? I think that's really awesome. So. Um, yeah, exactly, Buffy. It's like you you complete the shipping plan, but not the shipment. Um, so um, I hope that helped everybody. And um, like I said, we will keep the questions um, going. I like doing these because then I can get into more detail than I can type, and I can get feedback on what I'm not explaining um, correctly and all that. So Shelly, Try that out, and if you get stuck, post in the Facebook group, and we'll walk you through it. Um, put screenshots or, or whatever you need. Um, some people do use Scan and Ship. Us Mac people, it doesn't work. So that's why I never talk about it, because I've never been able to use Scan and Ship, because I'm a Mac-y. So there we go. Um, 
Deborah and I, in 55 minutes, are going to be on Thrifting for Profit, um, chatting just a little bit. It's not going to be another two-hour extravaganza because I know you guys have lots of work to do with shipping and Thanksgiving prep to do and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so we're going to keep it short and to the point. Um, Ed, I saw you didn't hear the announcement. Um, the announcement was that Ron is going to be doing a small group session at ASD for those who couldn't get into the, um, the private group with me. So I'll be posting about that in the chat room, um, in the Facebook group, so people can get information. So if there's nothing else, I'm going to say goodbye to everybody, and I'm going to say happy Thanksgiving. If you're driving, please drive carefully. Um, please take care of yourselves and your family. And um, keep up the good work because you guys are just awesome. I mean, it is, I am so proud. I don't have kids, but I think this wouldn't be, if my kids came home with straight A's, this is what I'd feel like. You know? So you guys are great. Um, have a good one, and we will talk to you in an hour. And if not, we'll talk to you on the Facebook group. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.